Happy Independence Day weekend, friends. How many of you had an opportunity to blow something up yesterday or watch things blown up? All right. Few of you, maybe most of you had that opportunity. And so I recognize I may be dealing with a whole group of people with diminished hearing capacity today because you've been blowing things up. So I'll make sure to yell and scream a lot this morning if that'll be helpful to you. My name is Matt, and I have an opportunity to open the Word of God with you today. We're coming to the end of our series called Wholehearted. And what is this series about? We are going through the Old Testament book of Malachi, and we are looking at the sins and mistakes of Israel that are recorded in that book, and we're learning from their sins and their mistakes. They didn't love and honor God, and we want to be a people who love and honor God. And so we're learning from those mistakes. And what we've seen thus far is that to love and honor God, we need to be wholehearted in our sacrifice of everything we are and everything we have to him. And we need to be wholehearted in our obedience to him in all that he calls us to. We need to be wholehearted in our faithfulness to him by being faithful in our covenant marriages. And if we're going to love and honor God, we need to be wholehearted in our pursuit of purity is what we saw last week. And so this week, what mistake of Israel do we get to look at? Right? How did they screw up this week? And what can we learn from it? Our passage today is Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. And let's look at it and see what we can learn about loving and honoring God from those verses. It says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Israel doesn't even see that it has left the path, let alone how it has left the path, and so they're totally stumped on how they might return to the path. And so now God is going to outline for them a major way in which they have failed to love and honor God. Here it comes. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That is our passage for today. And it, it makes me want to cry too, right? I, 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 don't, I don't blame her, right? This is a challenging passage for us because it has to do with something that is valuable to us, our resources. And what is it that is the primary problem here, right? The primary problem is that they were robbing God. Isn't that what the passage says? They're robbing God. How does a person rob God? What is robbery? Robbery is when we 
take something that belongs to someone else. And so how is it possible to rob the almighty God of the universe? Well, God says it's possible when we don't fully bring the tithes and offerings that he is due. That is how we rob God. Which does invite the natural next question, what in the world are tithes and offerings? Right? What is a tithe? A tithe comes from a Hebrew root word that simply means one-tenth. And the tithe is the command that God gave to Israel to bring 10% of any of their income to him at the temple. And so if you raised sheep, you were to bring 10% of those sheep to the Lord. And, And he was pretty specific. I would like the best 10%. And if you raised crops, you were to bring 10% of those crops to the Lord. They were, they were to bring the first crops, called the first fruits. If you sold a piece of land, you were to bring 10% of the proceeds and give it to the Lord. Right? That is a tithe. Now, on top of that, there were also offerings they were to bring. What are those offerings? Those offerings were special gifts that they were to make that went above and beyond the tithe. They were offerings of grain, offerings of thanksgiving, offerings of various animals. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 12, in a passage that is about all of the different offerings that they were to bring to the temple, we see a number of the offerings that were required of them. It says, there, that is the temple, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. The Jews were to bring their tithes, their burnt offerings, their thanksgiving offerings. They were to bring the firstborn offerings. They were to bring all of these different things because for the Israelite, the tithe was just the beginning of their giving to God. That 10% they were to bring was just the beginning. Now, it is usually about this time where someone asks, well, do we have to tithe? I hear Israel being commanded to tithe, but do we have to tithe? Are we supposed to bring a tenth of our income to the temple in Jerusalem? Well, let me ask you this question. Are you under the law? As a follower of Jesus Christ, are you under the law? The answer to that is absolutely not. Passages like Romans 6 says, you are not under the law, you are under what? Grace, that's right. You're not under the law. You are under grace. And so the letter of the law that you are to bring 10% of your income to the temple in Jerusalem does not apply to you as a believer any more than the Old Testament law that says, as you sit here this morning, you are not to wear clothes woven of two different kinds of fabric. How many of you are disobeying that command this morning? Right? Any more than the command in the Old Testament that says you're not to eat shellfish. Any more than the command of the Old Testament that says you are never to work on Saturday because it is to be set aside as a community celebration of the Lord. The letter of the law does not apply to you. You're not under the law. You're under grace. However, and you guys, this is an enormous however, the principles behind the letter of the law absolutely express the heart of God and his desires for us as a people. And so while you don't live under the letter of the law, 
the principles that God has given to us in the law absolutely should impact how we live our lives. So we saw a few weeks ago when we studied Colossians chapter 3 that the letter of the law about Sabbath keeping no longer applies to us. Passages like Colossians chapter 3, Romans 14 tell us that the letter of the law about keeping a Sabbath that no longer applies to us. But the principle behind that, that God wants you to set aside time from your work and your other activities in order to spend time with him individually and as a community, does that still apply to our lives? Absolutely, totally, and completely. So you have been set free from the letter of the law, but the principle still applies in your life. You have been set free from the letter of the law that you are to bring 10% of your income to the temple in Jerusalem. That would be a challenge anyway, friends. But the principle behind it, that God wants us to show love and honor for him by sacrificially and generously giving of our resources to him, that absolutely applies in our life as we live under grace. As a matter of fact, let me say that I don't believe a spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ will ever use grace as an opportunity to aim below the standards of the law. And a spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ will not use grace as an excuse to live below the standards of the law. They see the Spirit's work in their life as an opportunity to go above and beyond the law in all areas when it comes to holiness and generosity and love. I, I love the way that one pastor puts it as he talks about a new member class that he had in his home. He says, we have a new member seminar that meets in our home. It is the last seminar before people are received into our community for membership. I was sitting on the hearth of the fireplace with an individual who was considering becoming a part of our church. He turned to me and asked if our church was a law church or a grace church. It was pretty obvious to me that he was setting a trap. So I thought I'd just go ahead and jump in with both feet. I said, well, of course we are a grace church. I thought so, he replied. I was concerned you were one of those law churches that told people that they had to tithe. Oh, no, said the pastor. We are a grace church. The law says, do not murder. But grace always calls us to something greater than the law, and it says, do not even hate your neighbor in your heart. As a matter of fact, love your enemy. The law says do not commit adultery, but grace always calls us to something greater. And it says you don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart. The law says bring sacrifices to God, but grace always calls us to something greater. And so grace calls us to give our entire lives, our bodies, as living sacrifices before the Lord. The law says give 10% of your income, but grace always pushes us past the law. You can feel free to express your love for your Savior through 20, 30, or 40%. We would never want to stop you from living by grace. <laughs> right, now that, that pastor may be having a little bit of fun here as he tells this story, but read the book of Acts. Do, do you see those believers ever using grace as an opportunity to aim at something below the law? No, they understood. We're filled with the Spirit in a way that people in the Old Testament never were. And so we are called to something far greater than the law in our lives. 
And they loved living out things that were beyond what the law's call was. God calls his people who are living by grace to sacrificial and generous giving. C.S. Lewis, when asked how much people under grace were supposed to give, responded with this. Oh, sorry. I'll get there. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our giving does not pinch or hamper us, I should say it is too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes them. Grace is never an excuse for us to aim below the law, but always calls us to greater things because of what the Spirit does in our lives. Now, Malachi says that if we are not giving in a sacrificial and wholehearted way to God, we're robbing someone. Who does it say that we're robbing? Right? Does it say we're robbing the priests? Does it say we're robbing the temple? Does it say we're robbing the poor? No, it doesn't say any of those things. It says we are robbing God when we do that. Now, that doesn't mean that the gifts that were given don't go to meet other needs. The gifts that were brought into the storehouse in the Old Testament went to provide for the priests. We can also see that those gifts that were brought into the storehouse were uh, also provided for the poor in that community. And in the New Testament, in the same way, when people give their gifts to God, it is used in order to support other people. We see that it's used to support the overseers or pastors in the church. We see that it's used to support and provide for the poor. But what I want us to understand is that throughout the Scripture, the primary reason that we give is out of our relationship with God, not out of the need of a particular ministry or individual. Our primary motivation in giving is our love and honor for God. We should never be primarily motivated in our giving based on some numbers that are printed about the church budget. We should never be primarily motivated in our giving based on a newsletter that a missionary sent out about their need. Those can be good secondary motives for giving, but our primary motive for giving is always to ultimately and sacrificially express our love and honor for God. And if we fail to give in a wholehearted way, we are not primarily robbing churches or robbing ministries or even robbing the poor. We are primarily robbing God is what God wants us to understand. Our giving is always primarily to him. Now, was the problem in Malachi's day that they just weren't giving anything? No, that's not what the text said, did it? What does God say? He says, bring the whole tithe. They were bringing tithes and offerings. Malachi chapter 1 makes that obvious to us. The problem was they were bringing half-hearted tithes and offerings before the Lord. And what does half-hearted giving communicate to someone? What does half-hearted non-sacrificial giving communicate? Let's say that my wife and I, for a reason that I cannot explain, Both needed a car right now. And so I went out and I bought a brand new 2020 vehicle for myself. It's got all the bells and whistles. It rides so nice. I mean, it's brand new. It's got that wonderful new car smell. And then for my wife, 
I get her a 1994 Pontiac with 290,000 miles on it. The air conditioning doesn't work. The passenger side door doesn't open. What will my wife's attitude be towards that? Shouldn't she just be happy I got her something? Right? And maybe that's how the Israelites felt here. Well, God, shouldn't God just be happy we're giving him something? But in fact, every time we walk out into the garage, what is my wife going to think about? She's going to think about the fact that her husband cares more about himself than he does about her. And it's obvious right there. What does half-hearted giving communicate to God? That we care more about ourselves than we do about him. And what is God's primary priority in our life? Love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With everything you got, I want you to love me. With every ounce, with every penny, I want you to love me. And so when we give in a half-hearted way, what does it communicate to God? It communicates we love ourselves more than we love him. So if we want to be involved in wholehearted giving, in sacrificial giving, I'm often asked this question. How much do I have to give? Right? I mean, how much do I have to give to qualify as a wholehearted giver? Might I contend that how much do I have to give or what is the bare minimum I can get by with in order to qualify as a wholehearted giver may not be a question of love and honor. When I was going to ask Erica to marry me, I wanted a ring to be a part of that proposal. I did not at that time ask, what is the least amount that I can spend on this ring and still get a yes answer? Right? That's not a question of love and honor, is it? But because I loved her, I, I love her present tense, and I loved her, don't get too worked up about what I just said, Right? I, I loved her and I love her deeply in the midst of all of that. Because I love her, I wanted to do the most I could possibly do in that situation. And so the question that I asked is, what is the most I can possibly afford when I give her this ring? And then as a college student, when I recognized how little that was, I began to beg and borrow from other people so that I could give beyond my capacity to her. Because love and honor doesn't ask, what's the least I can do in order to get by? Love and honor asks, what is the most I can possibly do? And that's the question that drives us in the giving of our resources to God. God, how can I possibly give you more? God, God, what is the most I can possibly give to you as an expression of love and honor? Now, it may be that there are people in here right now who are saying, but, but I don't really have that much. I mean, I know there's millionaires in the Christian world and they can support entire ministries, but I, I don't really have that much, you guys. I, I don't make that much. I don't have that much. I, I want to encourage you that what we see in this Old Testament system is that God is not asking everyone to give the same amount, is he? He's asking people to give a percentage here. And so God doesn't look at the person who makes a million dollars a year and the person who makes $10,000 a year and say, you guys should be giving the same thing. Sacrifice looks very different for those two sets of people. And I also want to remind you of a principle that we have gone over again and again in here. So if you have heard this too many times, bear with me for a second. And that principle is this. 
God does not measure the size of our gift the same way that the world does. I want to say that again. God does not measure the size of our gift the same way that the world does. We, we see that so clearly in a passage like Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said what? Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. How does the world measure the size of a gift? By the amount given. If someone walks by a red kettle at Christmas time and puts in $2, and another person walks by a red kettle at Christmas time and puts in $2,000, who gave more? Everyone in the world says the person who gave $2,000 gave more than the person who gave $2. But that is not how God reckons the size of a person's gift. And we see Jesus teach that here. He says that this woman who gave two leptas worth less than a penny gave more than all of those rich people who came and piled in coins of silver and gold. They gave the equivalent of thousands upon thousands of dollars, and yet Jesus says, this woman gave more. Why? I remember listening to someone teach on this once, and they said, because her heart was in a better place. That may be true, but that is not at all what Jesus says here, right? What Jesus says here is she gave more because she gave it all, because she kept nothing for herself. All of these rich people came, and they were very, very rich. And when they were done giving, they were very rich. Maybe they lost a very in there. But she gave absolutely everything she had to give. So we need to understand the world measures the size of a gift by how much a person gives. God measures the size of a gift by how much a person keeps. Right? God measures the size of a gift by how much a person keeps for themselves. She didn't keep anything, and so her gift was greater than any of the gifts of the others. Because how much we keep for ourselves is a sign of the sacrifice that we are making. And the sacrifice that we are making is a sign of what? Our love and honor for God. And so let us recognize God does not reckon the size of gifts in the same way that we do. You can be the poorest person in this room. Right? Raise your hand if you're... No, let's not do that. Right? You can be the poorest person in this room and give more than anyone else in here in God's eyes because he doesn't measure the size of a gift in the same way that everyone else does. And that's why... God cares about these things because our giving represents our heart towards him. As we've said over and over again, did God need Israel's sheep? Right? Did God need their grain? Does God need our dollar bills? Absolutely not. He is the God who made and sustains the universe. He has no use for any of those things. And so why does he talk about the way that we use our resources so often? Why is he concerned about us giving to him in ways that are sacrificial and generous? Because he recognizes that it represents our heart. 
and that sacrificial and generous giving of that which is most valuable to us represents our love for him and our honor for him as God Almighty. That's why he cares about this. And what does he say in Malachi 3 hangs in the balance of whether or not we're giving sacrificially and generously? He says, blessings and cursings hang in the balance. What did he say to Israel in verse 9? Because you are not giving to me in a wholehearted way, you are under a curse, he says. He says, come and give to me in a wholehearted way that represents love and, and honor, and I will pour out blessing upon you that you cannot believe. Now let us recognize that blessing looked different for God's Old Testament covenant community than it does for us, his New Testament covenant community. That in the Old Testament, in books like Malachi, God is working through a nation, a single nation that is meant to represent his light to all other nations. And so blessing that was given to Israel is often about fertile ground, and crops that are abundant and filled with fruit because God was going to shine his light to the other nations by making them and that nation abundant. Today, God's people are the church. And we are spread out over 200 different nations. God is not working through a particular nation, but through people who are spread out all over through all different nations. And his blessings are not national blessings this day. Instead of providing fruitful crops for a nation, God's Spirit produces fruit in us of love and joy and peace in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. But just because blessings and cursings look different for the church than they did for Israel doesn't mean that blessings and cursings aren't still on the line when it comes to our wholehearted giving, you guys. They absolutely are. And I want to give you a couple of ways that the New Testament talks about us being blessed when we give sacrificially and wholeheartedly to God. Now, I want to warn you, because of the amount of time I have left, this is going to be unbelievably brief and incomplete. All right, so you're going to have to do some work on your own to look up ways in which those who sacrificially give are blessed in the New Testament. But let me at least hit a couple of things. One, when we give sacrificially, we receive more, to give more, right? When we give sacrificially to God and his kingdom, we receive more from him so that we can give more. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. God is speaking to the Corinthians about this church that was giving in magnificent ways called the Macedonians, and he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Again, this passage is about our financial resources. And it has been so terribly abused by charlatans who will tell people, if you will sow seed into my ministry here on this TV channel, then God is going to make you rich. But, But that's not what this passage is saying at all, is it? Instead, what God is saying is, 
if you will sow seed into the kingdom, it is my great delight to give you more seed so that you will sow them into the kingdom. To the person who is faithful and can be trusted with very little, Jesus says about our financial resources, they will be entrusted with much. This functions very much like a paper cup. And the bottom has been cut out of the paper cup. God loves to pour seed into that paper cup as it spreads that seed around to everyone else as it just pours right through. But as soon as someone puts their hand over the bottom of the cup and begins to practice the ministry of keep rather than the ministry of flow, God's seed goes away because he wants to filter his resources into those who will use them for the kingdom and his work. And so one great blessing, he says, for those of you who are willing to give sacrificially and generously, I'm going to give you more seed to sow into the kingdom because that's your heart and that's your love. Second, when we give sacrificially, we receive joy. Jesus says it is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. That's right. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that word, blessed, can mean happy. It's a happier thing to give generously to others than to receive. Right? Those of you with kids recognize this principle at Christmas time. There was a time when you were a kid at Christmas, and all that mattered was what? Did I get what I wanted under the tree? And you were all about, what did I get? What did I get? But now that you are parents and have an opportunity to give to your kids, isn't that far better than getting? Is there any greater joy than to be able to give generously to those that you love? And the people that are the happiest and most joyful people that I know among Christians are the people who are generously sowing seed into the work of God. Because it is more happy, more joyful, more blessed to give than to receive. God also says, when we give sacrificially, we are blessed eternally. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus makes this astounding statement in which he says, where you choose to put your treasure and your resources, that's going to actually lead your heart. Is it an expression of your heart? Yes, but it can also actually lead your heart to where you want it to go. But, but beyond that, he also says, you can take those treasures in this life that you can't take with you beyond the grave, and you can invest them in the kingdom in a way that provides treasure and reward in heaven. Now, I've got to be honest with you guys. I don't, I don't have time to go into a full sermon at this point. I, I'm guessing most of you don't want me to. To go into a full other sermon at this point about what the Scripture has to say about treasures and reward in heaven for believers who are faithful stewards of what God gives to them. But one of the things that the New Testament is clear about is there are different people who have different levels of stewardship and God will reward those who use resources in a way that pleases Him here upon the earth. 
When we give sacrificially, we can be blessed eternally. Now, perhaps you're here this morning, and as we're talking about this, you're saying, well, I'm not sure that I've been particularly sacrificial in my giving. I, I don't know that if I stood before God today, he would say, wow, are you generous with what I have given to you? I have great news for you. And it comes in the first two verses of the passage that we read. Because if we're standing here today and we're saying, I've been half-hearted rather than wholehearted. I haven't been generous and sacrificial in my giving. There's hope for us. Hope that starts today. The first two verses of our passage said this. Oh, you guys, I'm so bad with the clicker today. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. When it comes to a lot of different areas, but particularly the focus here, giving to God fully and wholeheartedly, Israel had been messing up for generations. And so what does God say? He says, I am cutting you off forever. No, that's not what he says here, is it? He says the exact opposite of that. In my grace and mercy, I have not cut you off forever. But instead, my great desire is that you will come to me today wholeheartedly filled with love and honor and worship because I desire to be with you. If you're here today and you're like, I I haven't been particularly wholehearted in my giving. I haven't been sacrificial. I haven't been generous towards the Lord. God says to you today in these verses, okay, let's get started today. Draw near to me today. Come in love and honor and worship and be sacrificial and generous because I desire to be with you today. Followers of Jesus, God is calling us back today to express full love and honor to him through our resources. Let's be obedient to that call. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge as we come before you today that everything we have in life rightfully belongs to you. That we are told that every good and perfect gift rains down from above, from you. And that everything upon the earth Every crop, every animal, every dollar, every star, every galaxy, every bit of it belongs to you and is rightfully yours. And we ask that you would continue to help our minds and our hearts focus on you as the owner of all things. We want to be a people who, through our generosity and sacrifice, express love and honor to you with all that we have. And we do so now in Jesus' name. Amen.